Hello. Oh, Kyle. Yeah, there we go. Hello. Moment that Bluetooth was going to work for me as a speaker, and as soon as he gave me speaker privileges, Bluetooth just immediately stopped working. Spaces, what's going that, on? That actually happened to me yesterday. Um, I was happily listening to a space through, through my headphones and then got made up to a speaker, and boom, headphones gone. It's very frustrating, but at least that's one less thing I have to worry about dying in the middle of this. But I hope I sound okay. Yeah, no, yeah, you sound absolutely fine. Fantastic. Just uh, just get Emma and uh. Alex up, and then we can um, get started, and then wait for our first uh, wait for our first uh, bug to happen because <laughs> that won't be far away. Oh, there's Emma. All right, just Alex to go now. Hi, all right. You're right, Emma. I couldn't see this space at first. Like it was only when you tweeted it, I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> Yeah, just another wonderful bug for spaces again. Right, so every, everyone's here now. Um, we can actually get underway. It was kind of awkward at the start because there's there people joining and I'm sitting there like, there's no co-host, there's no speakers, it's just me. <laughs> um, so that was that was good fun, but we're all here now, so it's, it's all good. Um, so obviously today's space is uh, our second space um, and it's going to be, um, if it's a... Yeah. If I can speak, is it a requirement to be a full stack developer in 2022? So we'll get underway talking about that in a moment, but we'll just go around and do some quick introductions. Um, so obviously, we'll if Alex and Carl both introduce themselves, if you want to say, um, Alex, if you want to go first, and then we'll go to Carl, just say, you know, obviously who you are, what you do. And um, for the purpose of this space, say, you know, was it your goal to be whether a full stack developer from the beginning or, you know, what? how did you get into it? Did you start front end and then learn back end and become full stack or, you know, did it kind of happen accidentally? Yeah. What if I started building desktop applications? Does that count? I guess so. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Like, I started with like command line apps and things. I'm not even sure if you'd call that like full front end or back end. Um, but anyway, nice to be here. Thanks a lot, Connor and Emma. My name is Alex. I, I'm the host of a podcast called the Scrimba Podcast, where I speak to newly hired developers to learn exactly how they found success. And I also speak with some more industry experts to see what the advice they have for juniors. I also tweet a lot about learning to code and breaking into tech and upload a weekly YouTube video about breaking into tech and do a weekly space um, where I've had the pleasure to share the stage with both Connor and Kyle quite a few times. So it's obviously very nice to be here as a speaker. Thanks for having me again. No, no worries. Glad to, glad to have you here. And I'm sure we'll learn obviously a lot more about your journey into becoming a developer throughout this space. Kyle, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, thank you for having me. And, and yeah, I, I've, I've also had the chance to speak with you all up here and everyone here is great people. Alex, I'll be speaking with you more later. Alex, I can't believe how much Alex does. But but <laughs> yeah, I my, my name is Kyle. I, I also have a YouTube channel. I, I should make more videos, TechSquid TV. Um, I am a senior software development engineer. Uh, I work for a CICD company. My last job, the last company I worked for was Best Buy. I used to be a Geek Squad agent. And yeah, but talking about uh, Alex, you know, I started out doing uh, desktop apps too, because when I was very young, I just looked up like how to program. And I saw something about Visual Basic 6. And uh, it just kept being, I realized that every time I was trying to program something, I was actually really, I would have rather had a website. So eventually I figured out, okay, well, how do you do that? And, you know, then you get on MySpace and you start messing around with your profile and you, you learn about this thing called JavaScript, which can make stuff on your website move. And then they tell you about this thing called Node.js, and you're like, what? You can do the back end with JavaScript now? And then here we are. 
I think that's actually yeah, a very similar um, kind of arc that myself went on there was, you know, you kind of learn about like command line and stuff and you start tinkering and then you kind of end up transitioning to websites at some point. Well, first question, I guess, is a bit of a warm-up. Actually, I didn't even have this kind of written down or anything, but Alex, you kind of made me think about that. How do you actually define full stack in the terms of general development? It's, you know, we kind of get lost in the web development world where full stack is front end, back end. But like you said, if you're an application developer and work in VBA or Visual Basic, isn't that full stack in itself? Curious to hear what you think. Um, I'm so apologetic, but the um, time limit thing on my iPhone, because I'm a total Twitter addict, popped up halfway through your question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. No, just quickly kind of touch on what you were saying there. Like when you said you started off with kind of Visual Basic and how would it, an application development, how would that be in a full stack? Is that count as full stack? What, what do you think? Do you think that counts as full stack or do you think that leans one way? Do you have to be a web developer to be full stack? It's an interesting question, and I don't honestly know the right way of thinking about it because in my mind, full stack has always been someone who can build a web application from end to end. So a generalist who can build the backend interface with a database, expose an API, you know, consume that API with an asynchronous request in JavaScript, and then not only that, but also implement CSS to layouts and present that information. It's quite a tall order, right? And I would describe a full stack developer as a generalist. But equally, um, a mobile application, once you move from the back end, can consume an API and be part of a full stack developer. So I would probably introduce the distinction between a full stack web developer and a full stack mobile developer. Obviously, the web developer having more of a focus on JavaScript, CSS, and HTML, and maybe a front-end framework or library like React. Whereas a full-stack mobile developer could be using the exact same back-end stack, right? It could be Node, it could be with Express, it could be ASP.NET's web API, for example, or something to do with Java. It doesn't really matter, um, but they might instead use Kotlin or Java to build an Android app or something like Swift to build an iOS app. I guess where, and maybe this would be a good jumping off point for someone else, but I guess where things get slightly um, confusing is when you remember that you can use front-end technologies like React Native or, or React and the version of React, which is React Native to build mobile applications. Um, but generally I find that when we get too caught up in the definition of things as programmers, our brains tend to implode. <laughs> like I think there's some nuance in, in like these definitions and it really depends on the verb, right? Like what do you do? Instead of thinking about everything as a noun and saying, I am this, I am that, think about like the verb, like what do you do? Yeah, I, I really kind of like that last bit you said there, I think, you know, not necessarily in a noun or as a, as a, you know, think yourself as a verb and what you do rather than what you are. Um, that, that, that's, that's so powerful there. So uh, an interesting point to segue, and I'd be curious to get kind of both your opinions on this. is something me and Emma were literally just talking about before this space started. And it's, um, where does the world of Jamstack now fit into Fullstack? Because you're interacting with kind of APIs and you can interact through, like, say, like, um, Fauna, you can interact with a database through their API and you can build a schema and all this stuff. Does that make you a full-stack developer, even though you're not doing the traditional route? You know, when, how does Jamstack play into this? I'm a huge fan of Jamstack. My personal website, TechSquid TV, is a Jamstack site. Um, I, I have a few, maybe even hot takes on that too. But <clears throat> like, first of all, Jamstack uh, is really really awesome for certain things, <laughs> but isn't, you know, a solution for everyone and for everything. 
Uh, so like I wouldn't go out and try and build any like everything with a jam stack site. Could you pull off a uh, e-commerce site? Like, yeah, you you definitely could. It's not the way I would go about it because there's some limiting features on there. But but to get back to your you know your real question, no, I, I would not consider that uh, full stack. That's truly, in my opinion, uh, you know, purely front end development. And uh, you know, I definitely understand the argument of uh, you know can like consuming APIs. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe this would have been considered, uh, you know, somewhere in between 10 plus years ago when we were talking about Ajax and such. But, um, you know, both of these things go real deep. And, and I think part of the problem is a lot of folks think that like back end is somehow, uh, you know, more complex or, or something. And, uh, you know, there may be some truth to that, but there's no shame in saying that you're a very talented front end engineer who does things like build Jamstack applications. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, I always kind of think I lean towards signing a full stack as a front end kind of discipline, you know, because you're not kind of interacting with the database necessarily hunt like, you know, you're not the one interacting with this through an API, so there's work to be done there. Um, but yeah, Alex, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I think I'll say the best. Awesome. Um, so kind of transition this into something quite nicely, which Carl kind of laid out there. Um, and you can be... Do you mind, before we do, I no, saw no, no, no. their hand up. Yeah, I okay. would like to meet Samba as well. Nice to meet you, Emma. Oh, sorry, I didn't think she had a hand <laughs> up. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to lean in a little bit more and, and get your opinions on uh, Next.js. Because when I was learning that, like I was like, oh, wow, this is like literally merging, you know, front end and back end. Like... I just have you guys worked with it before? Like, what do you think think of that one? Yeah, I, I, not to plug too much, but check check out TechSquidTV.com because I built that with Next.js, and really? um, I, I yeah, I mean, clearly I'm I'm biased, but I think it's I think it's purely amazing, and I'm really really fascinated with. Um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Vue.js. If if anyone here is a fan of Vue.js, but there's something similar for your React person. It's called uh, Next.js and Ext. And uh, it, it's really fantastic. Yeah, it, and it's it's almost confusing in the fact of how it merges things together. Especially, I've never actually built the server side rendered version of a Nuxt website, which is where you actually do quite quite a considerable amount of what would be considered back end code in what feels like the front end. And and yeah, right there, you're blurring the lines quite a bit um, because I'm doing the Jamstack version, the the static site version. Uh, it, it never really crosses that backend line for me because I don't deal with the databases and such like that. But it's a it's a really interesting way to get involved. And yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. Oh, and I, I started to trail off there. Uh, what I was going to say too, I'm very excited about Vue 3. Um, Vue.js 3, uh, which is going to be or is implemented in Nuxt 3. They just happen to share the same uh, value. But when you when you have the composition API and you can break things out into such small little compostable scripts, it's it's the perfect working environment for me. I really can't recommend it enough. If you haven't tried Vue or Nuxt, go try it. It's amazing. Are they like full stack, or would you say they're more like I don't know, quarter stack or <laughs> three quarter stack? That's such a tough one, especially if you're talking about like the server side rendered page. Uh, at a certain point, I think I have to call it. I mean, it's definitely a full stack application. It's just, you know, a little easier these days, which is pretty awesome. Thinking kind of these, like, Emma just raised a good point with Next.js. How do you guys define 
like serverless functions and stuff would you say that sits on the front end or stuff because it feels like again that's one of the areas where it kind of goes a bit gray and it blurs the definition of what you're doing because in a way you are you know you're handling requests coming in and stuff and writing that logic I, th I think it's a, a tough question, honestly, because ultimately when you create a cloud function or you use something like Firebase, you are running code on a backend. It's just somebody else's backend, right? And you're, you're occasionally sort of like, um, a lot of your work is going to be uh, bridging and connecting different services together. I'm thinking of something like AWS where you might use Lambda, but you might also use Cognito to do authentication. And, and in that spirit, I feel like you can achieve the same results as a full stack developer, which is actually, I think, a very good point, because if you think about the job market and you think about why you want to be a full stack developer, I think it's often because you, you wish to have control over your own applications, like you wish to have the ability to build everything and build a complete MVP or product. And I think if you are building a side project or you're entrepreneurial, I mean, you won't have the liberty necessarily of working with somebody who's better at the other half of the stack. So you have to sort of uh, find some middle ground occasionally. And I think that's one place where, although cloud functions have their, their place in the world, there's a very scalable way to build production level applications. Um, they can be a fantastic way to sort of substitute the backend in your own applications um, and, and using things like uh, Amplify on the front end to, to bring it all together and build something equivalent to a full stack application. I'll also just quickly add that, you know, I mentioned entrepreneurship and hobbyists, but in small companies as well, they might not necessarily have the budget to hire, you know, people who are discreetly good at every part of the stack. And so they would prefer to work with someone in a full stack capacity. That being said, and I, I do like find terminology in our industry quite weird because as it relates to job ads and things like that, if you are applying for a full stack position, and you've never touched Node or Express or anything like that, or a database engine, I think that could be like a bit of a problem, but I'm very open to like other points of view on this. No, I, but really, I, I wanted to bring this up anyway. It was a really good segue. I, I kind of wanted to point out too, the notion of the word full stack developer and the many connotations that it can be used in, because we should point out that personally, I don't believe that full stack developer is a legitimate job title. It's certainly a valid way to describe someone. Um, however, I don't believe you should see or will see many larger companies hiring a full stack engineer. First of all, it's not a very job. It's not very descriptive. That doesn't tell you much. When you do find a job listing for a full stack engineer, of course, it's going to tell you the very specific set of uh, the, you know, the tech stack that they want you to work with. So it's not something that's like standardized, although you know, they may assume that you are able to easily adopt to new languages and things like that. But, but the full stack engineer is like Alex said, something you might see at a company that doesn't have the ability to hire specialists in different areas. And so they are trying to find a smaller number of generalists. This is typically not a good sign unless it's a you know, smaller local place, maybe it's earlier in your career or something like that. But full stack engineer is not something I would put on uh, LinkedIn personally. That's not, you know, what I am. I can, I am a full stack engineer, sure, because I can build a back end and a front end. Um, but full stack engineer means different things to different people. And, you know, a lot of the things we're saying right now is, can you build a front end and a back end? I know plenty of people where that would not be enough to uh, satisfy the definition of full stack engineer for them. They would also have to be able 
to do all of the DevOps around it and the infrastructure. Uh, and you know, these these wells are just as deep as the first two that we talked about. So what I'm really getting to is this this word to me uh, is not very specific. Is what is really all I'm trying to say. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, if you're like someone that jumped out of just full stack, you know, what is that? It doesn't speak to any of their skills in itself. Anyone can kind of bland that title together. Um, so, just kind of to move us on to more of, you know, being a full stack developer and ironically talking about being one now, um, and kind of the things that come with that. You were saying earlier, obviously, you, know, you could be a really good front end developer, you could be a really good back end developer. Do you think if you said that you're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go be a full stack, but I'm going to learn front end and back end, that you're going to possibly sacrifice you getting you know, a higher level of skills in one of those disciplines? I don't think so necessarily, because one thing that many of us don't realize or think about a lot when it comes to coding and juniors especially it's just how long we hope to be doing like coding. Like there are people who are doing, you know, core maintainers of Redux and React and so on nowadays who started their careers coding COBOL or Delphi or something you might never have even heard of. And so I think, you know, the most important thing is to make progress and there's always opportunities to branch off and learn different things as well. There are, there are disciplines, right? And specialities like, um, you know, maybe if you if you learn sort of like machine learning or something, that's not necessarily going to cross over into the front end in some ways. But but a lot of things in programming carry over more than you can possibly realize because you become better at like very abstract things like logical thinking. But you also learn concepts and tactics that can, you know, they are re relatively abstract, meaning they're not tied to a specific technology stack and you can you can bring them with you. And overall, no matter what, I do think that. I do think that it's good to have an appreciation of both because in my opinion, you're a better backend developer if you have an empathy and appreciation for the front-end developer who is consuming your API. And likewise, as a front-end developer, you might then have a bit more understanding as to why a REST API looks the way it does, for example, or, or a bit more of an understanding when you have to tackle a tough problem in collaboration like caching because maybe a caching strategy is something that you decide as a unit, not just on your one end of the stack. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point you raised there, Alex. Um, sorry, did you have your hand up before? Um, uh, yeah, I, had, I, I thought I had a nice segue, but the, the opportunity is gone, I think. But we'll come uh, back to that. Sorry, I didn't see your hand. It's not that I didn't see it. I, just, I was looking at my phone and nothing came up. And then Emma texted me and was like, did you see his hand? I was like, I didn't. Oh, no hand was there. My phone didn't show a hand. <laughs> um, I'm hoping my spaces haven't bugged and I can't see people's hands because that would be really No, this um, is smooth as better, I think. <laughs> No, it's literally impossible for Twitter spaces to experience bugs. That's definitely not why I'm speaking on speakerphone right now. <laughs> oh, I know that pain all too well. Um, so just quickly, just uh, Carl, did you have anything you want to add to that? Um, or the, the previous question before talking about bugs and that? No, I, again, I, I, I'm going to go with Alex. The moment has passed. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, Quick moment to work, uh, welcome. I think I'm going to get your name right. It was Nikita, wasn't it, from last week? Um, uh, please tell me I got that wrong. It isn't just Nikita. I, something tells me. But welcome. Um, uh, did you have anything you want to add to this uh, to this question at all? Uh, thanks a lot, Connor, for having me. Um, I just wanted to like 
um just a quick introduction hi everyone this is nikita currently working as a senior tech recruiter in uber um recently moved from amazon to uber and i'm currently hiring so if anyone is looking for any developer engineering role please do reach out um i just joined this week so just give me like a week or so to share my roles start i will start sharing it on twitter as well i'm just in a tran- uh, training phase but i'm more than happy to push more and more people in uber now are uh, coming back to the topic of full stack development so uh, in amazon i was hiring lot of full stack engineers slash front end engineers so i have one quick question because i can see so many amazing host and co-host uh, sharing their advice and details around it so what is your suggestion in terms of when someone um, who is coming from a non technical background and the person who is trying to become a developer so what do you suggest to them like what should be their step one uh, from someone who don't know even like like uh, c for the coding part and they are trying to do that coding or they are trying to become a developer so what should be their step one in terms of like what should because for uh, having a difference or understanding between full stack engineering front end engineering or back end engineering is like a big thing for them so what do you suggest to them like how should they go from there and also one quick question if someone want to become a full stack developer do they really need to like this is a common question people ask me a lot so i just wanted to ask again <clears throat> in the space today that if you want to be a full stack engineer or a developer do you need a degree or do you need a boot camp or certificate or can people do it without even that uh, thanks again for having me looking forward to the insights you want to echo see you got your hand up my space is all bugged <laughs> Well, see, Emma's got her hand up too, and I think she beat me. So I'm gonna. Put that I can't up. see her. I can yeah, see you. Kyle, you were first if you want to go, or I can share my experience because I'm from a non-tech background. So, up to you guys. What do you want to say? No, please go. Go ahead. Non-tech background is is better for the question anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of thinking if I share mine and then you can go in with like the more solid advice and experience and kind of more the authority kind of answer. <laughs> um so for me, um yeah, because I'm from a non-tech background, I'm from beauty. Um so when I first started, I literally just signed up with Co Academy and um I did a full stack um development course on there. Um so i just wanted to know everything but obviously you can't know everything but you need to just have um a well-rounded kind of idea of things so um what i ended up doing was kind of like having a glossary of terms that i would come across um and make a note on and then maybe like just do some like quick sort of crash course on like uh youtube you know where it'll cover like all the sort of basics um it's really important to like just do the fundamentals if nothing else just sort of learning like just some basic sort of computer science uh fundamentals just to sort of set you apart um and then so yeah i was doing my full stack um and then i did all my front end and i found that like nice and easy it was yeah it was nice and then i did my back end but i didn't really sort of get on with it so well because I think because yeah I'm not really that technical so like um because I wasn't really seeing what what was going on and not really understanding it so well so for me like I focused more on front end for a while um then I got into Jamstack and then I did a boot camp for back end and so that kind of solidified my knowledge a lot more um just having someone sort of help me there with the boot camp 
Um, so I guess I'm self-taught and boot camp, basically. Um, but I guess the requirements and stuff like that, it depends, completely depends on the country, doesn't it? Because I hear from so many friends, like in India and China, like that they have to have a computer science degree. Like, um, but then I, I'm quite lucky because I'm in the UK and they don't really look at that. And I think maybe the US is the same. Uh, I don't know, maybe other people can sort of jump in on that one and just uh, share their experience with it. But um, I've just started a new role now and it's a technical role. So, you know, I'm proof that it can be done, um, self-taught and boot camp. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my experience. Um, and then I'll just let Kyle go. To be quite honest, mine's not going to be that different. <laughs> but I I will share what I what I can. Um, you, you know, I, I don't even know what it means now. I'm just thinking, like, what is the difference between technical and non-technical? Because I, uh, you know, the, the, the difference I could say is, like, I probably was interested in coding much younger than someone who would say they're non-technical. That's maybe the only difference I would say. So... When I was, you know, young, uh, the reason I got into coding, honestly, was because I wanted, I was a little kid and I wanted to cheat at video games, okay? <laughs> you know, there was these games and I was like, man, how to cheat. So I look up, you know, how to cheat and I find out there's this tool called Cheat Engine. And this still exists, by the way, you should look it up because it's actually really, really cool. And it can teach you a lot of things. And this is like how my journey started as like maybe a 13 year old or 12 year old or something like that. So there's this tool called Cheat Engine and what it does is it analyzes your RAM, your memory in your computer. And there's all these values in your computer. And, and you're going to learn a whole bunch of stuff about this. There's all these values that are stored in your computer. And they're, they're stored in RAM. And you can modify those values with this tool called Cheat Engine in real time. So you imagine you load up a video game. And you see, like, oh, I have $1,000. And then you scan your memory. And then you spend $5. And you scan your memory again. And you, like, you find where the difference is. And then... You can modify that and change your, okay, now you've cheated. You have a whole bunch of um, money. And like, that was really cool. And that was an achievement that made me feel good, you know, and I start researching more. Go check out Cheat Engine because it has a really cool tutorial. and It'll teach you a lot about memory and RAM. But what I want to say is like, you, you, what, you, what this all relies on is a bit of passion. So the way that I would get into this is find something that you have passion for. And uh, something that I think, is really easy for a lot of people is like, I want to make a video game or I want to, you know, you can find something that you're really interested in and you can, you can find a way to apply programming to it. Or you can say like, I am, I want to build an app for this thing that I'm very passionate about. Right. So you have a, a goal that you want to work towards. And now you can start making a list of the things that you would need to research and learn in order to achieve that goal. Right. So if you want to, make a website, you're going to start looking into, okay, well, that means I have to learn HTML. And that means I have to learn CSS and JavaScript. And that's how a lot of people, you know, fall into this. Um, and what's great about today, you know, versus 20 years ago when uh, I was really starting this kind of stuff is today there's a YouTube tutorial for absolutely anything. So anything you can think of, someone else has done it. It's already been done, but that's great because they're going to teach you how to do it. And we have things like Codecademy, like Emma said, I've been on Codecademy. I think it's fantastic. So there's lots of tools to learn those incremental steps that you'll need to get to making whatever it is you 
you know, whatever your goal is. If you were to look at my uh, GitHub, and there's a lot of junk on there, I apologize, but there's a lot of projects that I've built to teach myself over time. Like one of the first projects I made for TypeScript um, is actually a remake of something I tried years and years and years ago on some other language entirely, but I made a virtual fish tank in, type, in TypeScript. So I wanted to replicate an old game that I played on like Nickelodeon's website. <laughs> and now I have, you can go play it. It's actually in the web browser. There's a little fish tank and you can feed them and they poop gold coin. Uh, later on, I made a like simulator of the Linux terminal. And that was really cool because not only was I learning TypeScript, but I was learning a lot about the Linux terminal. It was like an excuse to research these things. So really what I'm trying to get to is you, you take a passion and then you, you find a way to apply, you know, this programming to it. Do you want to make a website for it? Do you want to make an app for it? Yada, yada. Find those pieces and just start learning. And do you need a degree? No, I dropped out of school at least once, technically twice. We could talk a whole lot about that, but I'm not going to take up a bunch of time. Point is, I do not have a degree and uh, it's going great. I wouldn't recommend getting one personally in general. Awesome. Uh, thank you there, Kyle. Um, let's not get into the um, computer science degree versus self-taught debate. That is not a debate to touch today. Um, yeah, I think that's been well said. Um, Alex, do you want to jump in there? Because I can see your hand. I thought it was really interesting when you mentioned Cheat Engine, Kyle. I thought you were going in a, in a different direction, actually, which is that there are two types of games, right? There are solo player games and there are multiplayer games that have an online sort of friends list and multiplayer element. And when you think about single player games, you can yeah, go into Cheat Engine, choose the process, play with the memory, and give yourself some more gold coins. Think about that like the front end. Whereas in a multiplayer game, say you're playing like, I don't know, World of Warcraft or Call of Duty or something. If you open Cheat Engine and try to play with things, you could give yourself a bunch of coins on a game like World of Warcraft. But that would just be the client side being updated, right? And the second you move or log out and log back in, or try and take any interaction in the game, the server would not accept the fact that you have more coins because there was no record of it on the server. It just occurred to me that's quite a fun way of looking at, you know, the two halves of the full stack, back end and, and front end. However, Alex, if you want to know something funny, if you do turn on the speed hack and cheat engine, you can just run all over World of Warcraft. And for whatever reason, it does let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, I can't say I'm a player, but that's good to know. And um, it's a, bringing it back to web dev terms as well, this is kind of what happens with uh, front-end websites and why it's good to have an appreciation for both. Because, you know, you can go on Amazon, you can inspect elements and change the price of something. It's not going to let you get it for that price, right? And, and the same can be said when you're coding a website and you're thinking about authentication or validation. Let's use validation as an example, because I think it's easier to understand. If you're, And this is really important to know if you're a junior, because I, I think some people miss this. If you're making a form, you can maybe create a validation attributes or use some regex to say, hey, this form entry has to meet a certain pattern. And you might then just think, okay, well, I'm only going to get good citizens who, who send this data this way. But what somebody who's sneaky might do is they might use a HTTP request tool or they might play with the payload in Chrome and they can bypass your client-side validation. And, and the same is true for authentication in some respects. Just because you hide a page doesn't mean somebody can't find it. Anyway, I just think these are really like fun, practical examples of, of full stack versus, or sorry, backend versus front-end. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing kind of like how much like, you guys kind of mentioned like this game modding and stuff. Um, yeah, that's like, something I've always wanted to do but never did. Um, so we'll go to another question in a minute, but first let's just introduce a couple of people we've got up. So uh, Heavy, you were first. Do you want to uh, give yourself a quick introduction, who you are, if you want to add anything? 
Hey, yeah, thanks for having the space, Connor. Um, hi, everyone. I recognize some of you from other spaces. I'm, I call myself a full stack software engineer, and I know that like that's a loaded term. Um, I'm about four years into my career. I started learning from a boot camp five years ago. I did it part time. My previous profession was a baker. Before that, I got my degree in religion from a liberal arts school. Um, my understanding is that it's really nice to have that knowledge of like the full stack when you're applying for jobs in within your first few years, especially if you don't know what you want to specialize in. And I'm kind of in this spot where I'm not sure what I want to specialize in and I don't love picking one or the other. I'm pretty indecisive and I don't want to limit myself, but I know that like we say that you have to specialize in order to get far in your career. But I found that in my last job, which was in enterprise healthcare, the front end developers would just toss the responsibility to the back end developers. We would point fingers a lot across the invisible line between front end and back end and just did not promote like um, problem solving and curiosity and ownership over the projects. Whereas with my current role, we're all called engineers and we all take our own um, path in terms of like specializing like no one is just a front well there's some people who are just front end just back end but most of us are just engineers and I think it's super important to have that ability to debug and contribute across the entire application to make yourself valuable um, so my question is where like the area of, of topic that I would like to discuss is whether or not we can be full stack developers and become specialized and become like that staff or principal engineer while still covering the full stack do we have to specialize as we get older is it or you know as we get into our career um and is it just kind of something that we peddle that you have to specialize in one or the other oh yeah Alex, you want to head? i think i saw your hand kind of come up and disappear but i'm assuming did you have your hand up <laughs> i can't see well you don't have to do anything right like that's the, that's the tough part like it sort of depends on what you want like there are two ways to approach anything i think you can do it the efficient way or you can do it the fun way and the way that's purposeful to you and if you do it the really efficient way then sure you might get there quicker but you might be miserable <laughs> so i i think it's quite a difficult like question to answer and i, I don't personally um have enough experience like near that principal role to really explain but I know Wait, Kyle Alex, works. Hold on. Are you saying that you cannot be both efficient and fun? Because that hurts me. <laughs> you know what? I like to think I can. <laughs> but I know Kyle works at Circle CI, which is like a much more structured company with like, I think probably more clear career progression for engineers and things. So I'd be really curious to hear what you think, Kyle. I love Circle CI. I'm always using it at work. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I write all the orbs if you use any of those. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, orbs like GitHub Actions for people who don't use CircleCI, but I, you should check it out. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, we, we do have, like, you know, all those those job roles, like you're saying. And, and you know, sure enough, I, I don't think we have. I'll have to double check. I don't think we have any full stack engineers, you know, by title. Um, that's what I'm saying before. We do have more specialized roles. And and here's, you know, I also have friends at all types of different companies. Um, Microsoft is the one that comes to mind uh, first. But, you know, here's what I'll say. And, and I struggle with this too, uh, Heather. Uh, specifically, I, I struggle with this uh, because I am a generalist and I love being a generalist. 
and I want to stay being a generalist because I maybe have ADD. I don't know, but I like learning things and I don't really like staying focused on one thing too terribly long. I like it. This is why I struggle with my YouTube channel and my Twitter because I don't have a niche. I'm just the tech guy. Right. But here's what I do notice. Um, you know, I'm able to make a, a pretty decent career uh, as a generalist and there are uh, some paths open to me that are that are quite different from each other. Um, however, I know that if I wanted to make a, a considerable amount more than what I make today, um, really the only way I can see myself making a considerable amount more than I make today is by like specializing, specializing down into something. And, and that is something that worries me a little bit because, you know, technology moves and changes. And, you know, as long as we're able to adapt, I think we'll all be okay. But for instance, something that um, I don't have a passion for at all, but I know pays quite well right now is uh, anything on the infrastructure side, whether that's um, SRE, which is a site reliability engineer, or, uh, you know, you're an infrastructure engineer, anything on that side, you can typically get a pretty high pay. I mean, I don't want to throw out numbers because it depends on the companies and, and, and scale you work at, but specializing into those roles uh, can get you further, farther, just like specializing into particular languages uh, can get you farther. But being a generalist will, will always give you opportunities and if it's, you know, if it's what you enjoy, I, I think it works out pretty well. Awesome. Do you want to uh, follow on that, Alex? Have you got something you want to add? I just happen to know that CircleCI published something called a like competency matrix. I mean, I feel like such a weirdo telling you about this, Kyle, because you obviously know a lot more than me. Um, but my understanding was that there were like columns for each level of engineer, right, from associate to senior to staff to senior staff to principal. And within each column, it sort of described different attributes they're looking for around quality and testing, you know, debugging, security, communication, collaboration, decision making, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think it's like I've actually recommended it to a few people as a great way to sort of answer your question, Heather, because even though not every company is Circle CI, and I'll share this if I can, Connor, with the space, because I think it's just useful to put words to the titles, like specific, detailed descriptions. Um, but since you're here, Kyle, I just wanted to ask if you recognize it and you agree with it? Definitely. And, and I'd also throw in there, I'd, I'd like to give everyone a fair shot here. Uh, GitLab also has a really nice public uh, chart that, that's quite similar. I would, I'd recommend taking a look at both of them. Um, but yeah, no, we, we, we do uh, adhere to that. It does depend a little bit on the team uh, you know, for some specific things, but that's typically, that's typically how, <laughs> how it goes. We do have, uh, and forgive me, cause I don't know all the, the levels off the top of my head, but every role is tied to a level. So like, even though I'm a, a senior software developer, whatever I am, <laughs> it, it's tied to like E1 or something like that. I, forgive me. I don't know all the, all the bits and pieces. Um, and they try, to tie these attributes to it. It's more of like a guideline than a hard, fast rule. So I wouldn't get too caught up on anything in there. It's kind of like the same principle as if you look at a, uh, you know, a resume or sorry, a resume, a job listing, and it has, you know, something that you're not super familiar with, you're still going to apply. Right. And, and it kind of has the same kind of principle. It's there to guide you, but um, I wouldn't put too much stock in it is basically what I would say. Oh, Alex, you've got someone you want to share yeah, that space? Go for it, but yeah. 
For sure. I'm just writing a quick tweet. Um, you can probably tell if I host Twitter spaces sometimes because I feel like the follow-up king right now. I just can't help myself. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am just kind of curious about this, uh, what you said, Kyle, about needing to specialize to progress in your career. I, I just wanted to sort of like, you know, scaring me a little bit because like my, my career plan is to like be a generalist so I can like empathize with different roles and different parts of the company and then sort of be a person that like, you know, you can still be technical, right? While also uh, fostering collaboration or, you know, making sure people are communicating and adhering to the right values and things. I'm just wondering if you see that as like, if you see being a generalist as the way towards a more senior title, or if you still maintain that you should specialize and solve more specific problems, like maybe you become the go-to I think what you're imagining, I'm not sure, I'm really excited to, to actually learn what you mean, but if I were to guess, I think you're imagining something like, you know, if you became the AI, vision AI specialist, then Tesla will pay you anything to come and join their team kind of thing. Like, that's obviously, like, one path to success. Um, do, you, do, you get what I'm, do you get where I'm coming from with this line of questioning? Yeah, definitely, and and for sure, it, it depends on your, your reference, too. Uh, so like what I mean by specializing and generalizing, uh, and when I say to progress, do you need to generalize? Like you, you do. The thing is you need to do both, <laughs> right? So there's like generalizing without specializing, and then there's specializing with generalizing. So, uh, what I mean by that is if you are a generalist without any particular specialization, uh, you will have multiple paths, but they will all, if you like think of it this way, kind of be at this lower level, right? Because you're not a specialist in uh, a particular area. Now you can of course be a specialist in an area and then benefit from having those generalist abilities. But like to your point, uh, Alex, like, you know, if I continue to be a generalist who uh, technically, you know, what I am, I'm not just a generalist. This is what I'm saying about perspective. I'm a generalist who specializes in uh, DevOps and CICD. So I have those DevOps and uh, CICD paths um, but maybe I'm not going to be your infrastructure engineer or something like, you know, using that example again. And like uh, like you had mentioned, like I have a lot of experience with a lot of tools in the cloud and, and with all these cloud providers and, and development tools and yada, yada. But uh, that's not paying the same as a, a data scientist who's, you know, principal data scientist or a AI engineer or something like that over at Tesla. And of course, they're probably not hiring someone who is just an AI engineer. They probably have to have some experience with databases and, and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, these, these people are super geniuses. I'm, I'm jealous of them. I am not a math person, a data science person. So I'm not even chasing that, but um, you know, it, it's, there's, there's certain, there's levels and careers, like you were saying, like, you know, you can go through and become a senior or principal or what, you know, whatever. Um, but within your job role, you know, you're only going to move up a certain amount before you have to move to a new company. That's that's typically how this goes in the in the tech world. So, you know, moving companies is just a way uh, for you to advance uh, basically quicker. Uh, and and even so, based on your level, the role you are in just has a certain amount of value attached to it to the company, right? Um, that you know they have a certain budget for that department. They have a certain budget for that. Uh, organization and and so forth. You know they have these more specialized roles. They're more in high demand. There's less supply. Therefore, they make more. You know, and you know I don't know if you want to plan your career ahead based in terms of how much money 
you could potentially make. I tend to keep an eye on it just in case, <laughs> but uh, it's something at least to be aware of. Oh, uh, Heather, do you want to jump in there? So you can hand up. Hey, um, I love everything that Kyle and Alex have been saying about the conversation, especially around like generalist versus specialist or like how the two interact and how you really actually have to do both. It's just like, which way do you lean? Um, the thing with like specializing for me that kind of scares me and creates a like paralysis analysis is that what if the things that I choose to specialize in do not do well for longevity? Because we don't know where things go, you know, and... So it's like, like, what are thoughts on handling that as you choose to specialize deeper and deeper into an area? Yeah, that's a that's a really tough one and something I think about all the time. Like, I'm using an infrastructure example a lot because I just. I can't hear Kyle. Did I get? Oh, no. It's happened, Connor. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Kyle yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah, it's caught up. I think Kyle's gone. Yeah, he's just requested. I'll I'll put him back up. So you add a speaker. Uh, I think Emma's been kicked as well. Yeah, yeah. We can we can hear. I I don't even remember. What I, was, I was saying um, yeah. So infrastructure. You got struck pretty early. Yeah. Thank you. The I'm I'm looking at the um. Oh no! Did we just lose Heather? See what's happening? Twitter space is dying. No, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Then there's just bugs and I can't see you anymore. Okay. Well, I'm going to assume that everything's working then and just continue on. We can hear you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> so with the infrastructure stuff, you know, I'm saying like they, you know, they make a lot of money. Like it's like people who work with Kubernetes day in, day out make a lot of money. Um, however, we were talking about how, for instance, um, like serverless is a growing thing. Not only is, you know, serverless growing just you know, serverless services, but there's also like serverless Kubernetes now. There's like, you know, managed Kubernetes is already really well done. So I just wonder, you know, what does the longevity of something like that look like? And that's one of the reasons I haven't invested a terrible amount of time. I mean, I think we can all assume that AI is going to be around for quite a while. Um, I have a lot of interest in VR and AR and things that I think are going to uh, exist, you know, far out in, in advance. I think, you know, I work in CICD that's going to be around for a really long time. It's, you know, these are like core things that aren't going to change around technology. It's just, these are principles of, of software. And that's one of the things I would also say is, you know, what you want to do is invest your time in skills that are highly adaptable and transferable. So, you know, I love to do front end development with JavaScript and TypeScript. And, you know, maybe we're going to get to a world where, most development is not, you know, need, doesn't need to be written that way. But you know, we'll we'll see where we where we go. But I, I guarantee you, if you put your time into a language learning fundamentals, uh, it, it's going to transfer elsewhere. Maybe it's not TypeScript. Maybe you want to do Rust or something like that. That's a, a you know a new fun thing. Um, any of those are good choices because no matter what, you're going to have the skills necessary to transfer into whatever it is that you target as being the the next technology that you want to get involved in. Cool. Um, thank you, Carl. I'm sorry. I, I don't know if we had some issues there or not, um, just because I've seen stuff obviously happen. Um, yeah, that was a great answer. Just gave. Something I was just kind of thinking about, sorry, you might have already answered this while it's been bugging out for me, is like, if you um, wanted to specialize as of, you know, right now, you're a new developer coming in, or, or they say not new developer, you know, you're a base level developer, you want to specialize, 
how would you choose what to specialize and how far should you specialize? You know, you know, obviously if you chose, you want to go um, bull stack, how do you choose what you want to go and how, how deep should you go? When is too, when do you become too specialized almost for your own good? Oh, Alex, do you want to go? Um, I, again, I think Kyle is like a better person to answer this based on like his experience, but like I, I, these kind of questions I find are really interesting because a lot of us have a tendency to want to like architect our path. And if you think about an architect, that everything has to be perfect before we get started. But what I think is actually the right answer to this question is to think about yourself more like an archeologist instead. Like you sort of head some place, you dig around for a little bit and, and see what you find. Because when I think about the people I know who've got more specialized, they normally took like a fairly low path of resistance into tech. Either they graduated from a boot camp or a degree, they worked a fairly typical job, but then they became the go-to person for something. Like they just were naturally curious about something. They had a proclivity to solve certain types of problems. And then it was not a case of like, you know, architecting and deciding in advance, like, what do I specialize in? It was just a case of like following what they like to do at the very least nine to five every day. And then you apply a bit of background thinking about, okay, is this something that's, you know, feasible from a career progression and salary progression and lifestyle level? But I think people who approach it, you know, thinking about those things at the forefront, it's just really hard to know the answer until you get started. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know, obviously, if Carl, Carl, I don't know if Carl's got anything he wants to add to that in a minute. Um, yeah, go ahead. But I think it's something, the key thing you want to quickly go in, sorry, Carl, some of me, I was just quickly forward, come to my head, I want to get it out quickly, is the, like, you know, you want to be adaptable. You know, if you want to become, you know, you see these people who became specialized, like, I don't know, when they were a developer in, say, the 80s, and then they, like, you know, the rise of JavaScript happened, and they refused to acknowledge it, and they were adamant they wanted to stay, and they've become kind of antiquated. Um, so I think the key skill here, it doesn't matter if you specialize too much, it's whether you're willing to adapt to the new. But yeah, go go ahead, Carl. All all good. Yeah, I was you know first thing I'll say is never worry about specializing too much because I, I think that's incredibly hard to do. It's you know it's like many years before you specialize too much. I mean like twenty plus. So and and not to mention you know I want to point out um, you know specializing in something for a long time can still make you really valuable. Uh, what the um, Stack Overflow uh, twenty twenty survey I think it was. One of the highest paying languages, or the highest paying language, I think it was, was Clojure. No one uses Clojure anymore. That's why it's the highest paid language, because, you know, people who are highly specialized in Clojure are highly sought after to look after these old systems. So, I mean, specialize, specialize away. I think I had another point, but I totally forgot it. So go with the Clojure tip. <laughs> You're making me worry now, Carl, that we're all learning JavaScript and we're all going to be on about two pound an hour in 20 years time because everyone does it. <laughs> <laughs> get really, really good at you know what you know a lot of people don't know i was talking about this like totally unrelated earlier today to someone else who uh wants to learn typescript do you know you can just emulate like any processor you want and it, like first of all you can do this in any language but like you can do this in typescript so like um, an old boss of mine wrote in a game boy color emulator in typescript you can just you just do that like, like you can just get really oh we lost carl you just i don't know if you, I mean, you just carl for me <laughs> Oh, no. I just want to say, I just want to say that my boyfriend writes closure for his job, and he's been in, he's known JavaScript for fifteen years, and that's his like hesitancy about learning TypeScript and like Web three. It's because like he knows JavaScript, and that's what he's good at, and he just like, <laughs> but now he's writing closure and he hates it. So, 
Oh. So, Heather, do you want to finish off? Or, sorry, I, I think I'll kind of come in flying there. No, no, that was it. Yeah, I was just like, that's so funny that he said that he hates that, like, no one writes closure because I'm talking to someone who's, like, you know, using closure for his day to day and hates it and not, is also trying to move past it, but doesn't want to go too far past it because TypeScript is new and different for him, who's, like, specialized in JavaScript. Um, so, yeah, closure is the funny example. And so, is infrastructure, like, you know, how long, what is infrastructure going to look like in 20 years? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think um, when we kind of briefly mentioned that, you know, like these new exciting things like TypeScript, Web3, blockchain development and all these, it's like if everyone kind of jumped at them now, like what would happen? You don't know if something's going to become the new or not. So it's, you know, it's hard to recommend going and learning something because you don't know if it's going to be. Not everything's going to be the next JavaScript, for argument's sake, you know. So do you, you might, you know, go, oh. Alex, trying to jump in. I really liked your point, Kyle, about, you know, don't worry about specializing too much. That's really hard. It reminds me of people who start training at the gym and they're like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to get too buff. And they haven't even got started yet. Um, I think that's really good. And just on, just on your point, Connor, I also think you, you reminded me of something quite interesting, I think, which is that if something ever becomes so popular that it's on our radar like typescript or docker or something like that it will in time become so deeply integrated in legacy systems that there will always be a job for it meanwhile the sort of trends move in a different direction and people start learning these new trendy things and so i don't think you get paid more to do closure because it's you know harder or anything like that you get paid more to do it because less people want to do it basically because they they follow the trends and things like that which isn't a bad thing or anything like that by the way it's just the case that it's difference and I'm thinking of like Erlang which is an old programming language and this runtime called Beam which I think a lot of the major sort of like telecommunication infrastructure is coded in if I'm not if I'm not mistaken and, and of course like you wouldn't really learn that at a boot camp today or you wouldn't really maybe seek to learn Erlang although Beam I think is what Elixir runs on nowadays which is uh, an interesting project since it tried to utilize some of the uh, advantages of Beam uh, in the modern world but all of this to say that like there will the longer time passes, the longer something is solidified, the more legacy jobs they uh, appear. And as a result of like the market where there's a greater um, demand than there is supply of people who can do the job, uh, you, you might end up in a lucrative position. But of course, it's nuanced, right? Maybe you don't just care about the money. Maybe you want to like, I, I can imagine that like React Conf is a lot more fun than like Erlang Conf or something, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's a few different parts to choosing your tech stack and what jobs you want to do. Yeah, I 100% know what you mean, Alex. You know, in some of my old roles, we used systems which were still um, like DOS-based and, you know, no, no no GUI or anything, just just text. And it's the most like unusable thing in the world, but it's too deeply integrated in the system, into the company that it would cost absolutely millions to remove. So they keep it. Um, it's quite funny, really. Um, but no, yeah, yeah, obviously what you're saying there with things becoming more integrated, it makes you know loads of sense. Um, I kind of just want to add a, a little bit of a healthy dose of skepticism to that to people out there who think, right, web, you know, web-free blockchains and the new big thing, just because it's big on Twitter doesn't mean that it's like big in the world. <laughs> you know, do a healthy bit of market research before you go and jump on that train because it might not actually be, it could just be a, a, a Twitter faff. <laughs> the the um, web-free thing, I think it's relevant in a sense because... My, my impression is that a lot of people in our sort of community uh, talk about Web3 and they're getting hired as Web3 developers because Web3 is more of a back-end sort of technology or stack, I would say. Um, and as a result, I just confuse myself because we say full stack, but we also describe a specific 
like part of the system as I don't know, it's confusing. But but the point remains that people who are building web free systems need a front end developer to come and build the marketing pages and the, the, the graphical user interfaces and things like that. And I don't think you need to know anything really or much about web free beyond interfacing with the data in order to build it. And there seems to be like a gap in the market for people who are um, willing and wanting and available. Cause I don't think a senior developer is going to quit their job at Google to start working on like a web free front end for some teenager with an entrepreneurial idea um, because it's a bit sketch to be honest. But I think a lot of people are finding opportunities freelancing and I, I don't know, I actually want to be clear that this is not an opinion so much as a question. I'm wondering if anybody else has an impression. Um, yeah, I know for me, like, like you say, they like, I think web free, like I say, and like you said, they refers to the back end side, you know, I don't think the front ends are going to be changing from web two, if we want to call it that, um, you know, anytime soon. So if you can build, you know, really good looking marketing pages, um, and you don't really mind what you're building on, or you don't mind the idea of blockchain and web free, then go for it. You know, there's money to be made. Um, I don't think we're going to be building, I might be wrong. I don't know much about web free, but I don't think you'll be building a, a front end page and, you know, I don't know, Slyrium or whatever it is. I don't know much about Web3. <laughs> um, but yeah, Carhill, are you back now? <laughs> Take that as a no. <laughs> um, he is up as a speaker. Um, oh no, he's gone now. Cool. Um, right, so just quickly moving on while, while Carl's sorting out his technical issues. If, um, I suppose we'll put the question out there. Um, if you were a new developer, you know, right today, um, and you were kind of wanting to come in. Keeps doing this. Oh, yeah, yeah but we can hear you now. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You couldn't want to throw out there. What do you want to add before you get kicked? <laughs> I, I want to throw out there real quick. Web3 is mostly nonsense. Don't, don't, if you're going to specialize in anything, make sure it's not that. Well, mic drop. You need a mic drop emoji for that. He's come in, he said that, and he's now leaving. Oh, he's going to get kicked out. Um, Nikita, uh, do you want to go? Do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I just want to, like, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about that comment. Uh, like, why? Uh, because a lot of people, I can see so many spaces, so many things, like, going on on Web3, and so many people coming, influencers are, they're saying that, oh, we, we are, like, into Web3. So I just wanted to learn a little bit. Maybe I am not sure about it, or maybe I am not aware of this thing, but I would love to learn why that comment came in. If it doesn't kick me, and this is all my personal opinion, and you are free to disagree, but there's nothing wrong with blockchain. It's most of the other things that we're talking about. Blockchain itself as a technology may have many uses. We haven't found a ton of them yet, in my personal opinion, but blockchain is fine. NFTs, Web3, such, solve no problems. They invent artificial scarcity in a digital space where there is none. Uh, and it's done to turn a profit out of thin air. I mean, if you think about how um, I, I tweeted recently, when I saw the first Pokemon movie as a child, I got a, a, a trading card. And today, if you went to Spider-Man, you got an NFT. Of course, the NFT was entirely free for them to mint on their own network, and it has no uh, value unless it's intrinsic to you and, and you can sell it. However, who's making the most money here is the people who can market these uh, artificially scarce digital items. And in order to do that, you just have to have cloud or you know, a business interest or whatever. The uh, decentralization that is offered by these platforms, first of all, doesn't really exist that I could go into, but 
uh, one of the reasons is you talk about how, you know, Bitcoin and such uh, can take out the middleman and, and reduce the transaction fees and yada, yada. And then everyone goes to sign up to Coinbase anyway and centralizes it immediately and runs into the exact same problems that we're constantly talking about. So any, if, if you want to do decentralization, the problem is, too, that that's not actually something that people want. It sounds nice. But if we wanted decentralization, then you wouldn't be on Facebook or Reddit. You would have your own blog and your own website and your own videos on your own host. But that's not convenient or economic or secure. We don't do these things. Um, Web3, the reason you see so many people talking about it is because they have a lot of vested interest in it. I'm surprised I have not been kicked yet. The people that, <laughs> that you see talking about uh, tokens are often, uh, first of all, promoting that token because they have an invested interest in it meaning that they will make money as long as this uh, continues to grow. And this is true over the entire industry, uh, including like Ethereum and Bitcoin and such, right? Like if you own Ethereum and Bitcoin, you need the value to go up by putting, uh, you know, artificial value on it because of course it doesn't really have any true value. So we have to invent value for it. Uh, you'll see people uh, giving out NFTs and giveaways and such. Again, it's because they were given maybe like 400 of them themselves, and they were given 200 to give away, then their 400 NFTs will be worth quite a bit of money. They'll sell them in a few weeks, and whoever has them left over is left holding the bag. South Park did a whole thing on this. It's great. You should watch their documentary is what I would call it. I think, yeah. Um, I, I kind of, I'm kind of, you know, we'll keep this a little bit short. Obviously, we'll get to Alex and Heather because I see you both had your hands up. Just don't want to derail us completely to a web-free debate of is it the future it's or not. not. To be fair, I'm happy. I was going to chime in, but I'm happy to change the subject. No, 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 it's fine. If you want, if you want to jump in, um, you know, go for it. Well, you, you and you and um, Heather both put your hands up, so we'll hear what you have to say. <laughs> I, I just want to, like, yeah, I don't have a philosophical view to share, but I think that a lot of people, like, you know, the title of the space is about whether you need to be a full stack developer, and that means you're asking yourself questions about what to learn, which means you might be influenced by Twitter and you might be considering things like Web3. I, I basically agree in principle with what Kyle was saying about how it's like you have to fulfill the prophecy. Like there are lots of people trying to grow their accounts and they're trying to be, can you imagine, right? If you made the first big course on React, like you'd be really well off and you would have a lot of followers and you'd be doing very well in your career and things like that. I think a lot of people like that idea and they are kind of racing to the bottom in some respects. I don't have a philosophical or a technical view to share. I want to just encourage people to think critically about what their objective actually is and where this plays a part. And yeah, that, that's all really. Otherwise, I'm happy to move on to a different subject. Yeah, thank, uh, yeah. thank you, Alex. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Heather, do you want to jump in and so you had your hand up or...? Sure, yeah, um, we can move on. But I just wanted to quickly say that while I'm learning like Web3, I'm more of a risk adverse developer and I am keeping my day job. I'm shooting for a fang job sooner than later. And learning Web3 is just practicing that act of transferring skills. Like um, the front end, back end, it's still at its core infrastructure and the principles behind building and trying something new and crazy and silly and worthless and like, you know, just generating capitalism um, and, you know, fun and community and art. It's even if it flops, like I have all my um, basics covered by my day job and like learning is, you know, it's just kind of silly and fun Twitter stuff. Like I feel crazy when I talk about it to anyone who is not like a Twitter person that I know. <laughs> so that's all. It's, uh, we can move on from Web3 and back to the full stack developer conversation. 
Awesome. Um, thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to didn't want to derail us. Obviously, there's loads to talk about, and we can definitely do a future a future space talking about kind of web free and is it the future? Is it not the future? That's a, that is a whole debate um, that we could easily fill hours with. Um, but just to kind of steer it back towards the full stack um, developer kind of question that we're discussing. Um, if you were if you were going to be a new developer entering this, in, well, imagine if you were advising someone who wants to be a full stack, or not necessarily, they want to be a developer. They're thinking about their career uh, in the future. Would you advise them they have to be a full stack developer? You know, if you want to be successful, you need to be front end, back end, or could you have a very successful, happy, prosperous career just being a front end or just being a back end? You know, where does that sit now? Uh, Alex, do you want to go? I think it's a tremendous question, and. Again, there's not like a clear cut answer, but what I can say is that I've met a lot of developers who've broken into their first junior developer job only knowing the front end. And I think it makes sense because when you imagine what a junior front end developer can do, they can bring a lot of value to a team by, for example, converting a Figma or any other vector design into a responsive website. You know, when you think about being a back-end developer, the trouble in part, I think, is that you don't have the best way of presenting your work. Like with a front-end website, you can offer something tangible and you can, and that has two effects, right? The number one thing is that it's rewarding. Like, I think one of the things a lot of us like about code is that we see the results of our action immediately. We're very productive compared to something more theoretical. Um, but also when it comes to marketing your skills, it can be a benefit. I don't know, and I, I am very open to opinions on this, but I get the vibe that the front-end community is a bit more suited towards beginners. Like, there are so many things to consider, right? And if you think about, you know, the various uh, people we look up to in our community and the different places you can learn and the different resources we have, I can't necessarily comment on back-end, but I do know that what we have is very good. And we have an amazing support network of people who want to bring each other up. And most importantly, bring up people, you know, pay back their success in the community, right? Because they benefited at one time. It's a bit harder for me to imagine that when it comes to like a strictly back-end approach, which could look like learning Node and Express or Ruby and Ruby on Rails, for example, or C-sharp and a web framework like ASP.NET. Um, that's just my that's just my first impression. No, yeah, I, I agree, Alex. I'm I'm definitely in the camp of, you know, I got my first job just knowing React. Um, that was the main requirement of the role. You must be able to use React. You know, without that, I wouldn't have got the role. But they weren't interested at all in the back end because they had their own back end developers. Um, but, yeah, so I'm firmly in that camp there. Uh, Heather, did you want to add something there? So you had your hand up. Sure, yeah. Um, my experience is that, like, with developers getting their first job, they're going to take what they can get. So it's great to be marketable to the entire stack. Um, my first job was a contractor doing SQL queries. So I got really good at huge SQL scripts and Linux commands. And I am so thankful for that. And then like, because I had that first job, I was e it was easier to get that second full-time job. But this was also like specific to my area. Um, so I think generally, if you don't know where you want to go, then full stack is is the best thing to do. But then if you're someone like a designer or someone with a strong sense of like where they want to like go in five years, then like definitely focusing on that is perfect. Um, great question, by the way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're, a, if you're a beginner, you're getting your first role, then being a front end or just being a back end, you know, definitely get your foot in the door. But okay, if we change the kind of the question a little bit, say they've been in their role you know, for three years or so, 
not sure about their future and they're thinking, you know, do they only get a successful promotion? Do they only get that step up by being doing both front end and back end? Or could you earn, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just being front end or just being back end? You know, does there come a point where you have to learn both or could you easily go a whole 20, 30 years without it? I can't speak for like 20, 30 years, but I do think that the nature of the web has changed. Like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there was a point where people kind of scoffed a bit at like the front end role. They said, oh, you only do front end. Like a lot of back end developers were kind of looking at it as a sort of tangential thing. And okay, maybe, you know, many years ago, there could be some degree of truth to that. But back then, websites were not responsive. They did not feature such complex animations and interactions. UX was not something that drove insane business results. Like I, I like to bring this fact up sometimes because it blows my mind, but bigger companies like Google will literally hire UI copywriters to choose the text on the buttons because it obviously drives some kind of results. There are so many other ways in which front end has become so much more specialized, like handling a lot of data on a page. I would love to hear some more examples actually, because I'm struggling a little bit, but you, you get the principle, right? And the same could be said for the back end. Although there's always been challenges to do with back end around sort of scaling and in some cases, you know, dealing with volumes of data in a database or coordinating systems and things like that, there are, there are new challenges emerging around machine learning, AI, all the rest of it. And so the, it's just the nature of computer science and the nature of programming that as we all get more ambitious and push the boundaries and learn new things, the space becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the truth is you can only be a sort of generalist if you're a full stack developer. But there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think it's a great way to get your foot in the door. It's a great way to build your own apps end to end as I mentioned previously. But in terms of career progression, if anything, you can probably earn, and this is I think your sort of view, Kyle, like you can sort of, um, get at least a clearer career path and career salary progression if you continue to, die, uh, to delve deeper and specialize. For example, there's a guy, I forget his name, Harry something. Um, he, he's a contractor and I don't know how much he makes, but I could get a sense of his lifestyle. Again, this is <laughs> probably not the best way to think about people you see on Twitter, but I think he was you know, doing pretty well for himself. And he was purely a consultant. He went around to different companies and helped them scale their CSS, helped them choose how to name and structure things, how to abstract components. Because at the end of the day, if you're a business and you're trying to evolve your application effectively to make more money at the end of the day and drive business results, if you're sort of you know, bundled with technical debts and your teams can't align and their designs are inconsistent or they're struggling to relearn someone's code every time, that has a huge penalty. And I, it always struck me that that was such an incredibly specialized role that they got paid an awful lot of money to do, I think. And the same could be said for someone who like, <clears throat> you know, knows SVGs inside and out, for example. Um, I'm thinking maybe that might suit you better if you're trying to write a book on it or sell a course or something. But equally, I'm sure there are some examples of applications out there or libraries where sort of working with SVGs and animating them is just a full-time job, basically. Sorry, can you? I just got kicked. I don't know if you can hear me still or not. <laughs> okay. Cool. Did I, did I? Did you just stop talking? Did I just rejoin at like the perfect time, or did I cut you off? I'm sorry. You, you, no, you're not. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said it. I just kind of slid in there and just 
they pretend nothing happened. Um, in kind of what you're saying, Al, if you wanted examples, I literally had this at work the other day and I kind of facepalmed about it. I was chatting to one of our um, designers and he was telling me that we have people who were testing whether or not we should have a five pixel gap between words, like between like a word and a price. And uh, I was like, really? Five pixels? Who's going to tell this? Um, but, you know, it proves what people get paid to do. But we, we're definitely one of them companies who have the ui copywriters and the ux designers and then the people who test that to make sure it's right and 50 people to do one thing um but right so coming towards kind of the end of the space so i want to start doing some of the questions that people have submitted um we do have one um from katie which i'll come to in a second um if you have any questions you want to ask our speakers then make sure you um, put them in the tweet at the top which i pinned um drop them down in there and um, also, before we start looking at the questions, if you've enjoyed the space, make sure you follow all of the speakers up here because they've been wonderful and provided so much value to everyone. Um, cool. So let me just load up this question and we will read out. I don't actually know if Katie's still in the, the space or not, um, but it's a tribute to her and you can see it there. So she put, um, uh, I'm in a full stack role because I work with backend APIs and databases, front end UI and infrastructure. I'm definitely a backend developer first and foremost, though. My question is, do you think it's easier to go full stack starting as a front end or back end dev? Uh, does anyone want to jump in on that? Oh, someone's like, I'll jump in. Uh, I, they're both hard and they're both very different. Um, I more or less started from front end going to back end. Technically, it started with the back end, but I really didn't know what I was doing. So what I would say is I think that it's what's nice about the front end is you get immediate feedback, right? You write some code, you see it. It's right there in front of you. And that's what's what's nice about the front end. But it's easy to miss a lot of the fundamental things that are really important to programming. And therefore, I would say if you are someone who is new, even though it might be a little bit uh, drier to, to get started, um, getting started with backend first, even just a little bit. Ooh, you still, you still there, Kyle? Oh, yeah, I think I just saw that it switched from Wi-Fi to 5G for a moment, so I don't know what you missed. Uh, you kind of cut off, um, just, just rewind a little bit and then carry on. <laughs> um, you kind of dropped in and out a little bit. Okay, just ignore me, that's fine. <laughs> if, you're, if you're on the, uh, the short version is, if you could learn to do some backend coding uh, first, I think that you would learn a lot of fundamentals that would be uh, easier and more efficient when you, when you get into it. There's nothing wrong with going the other way, but it's uh, maybe a little bit easier to have a hard time. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, I haven't learned backend, so I've fully learned backend other than little bits here and there. So it's hard to come for myself. But Alex, do you have anything you want to add, or or Heather or Nikita or Emma? I'm not. I'm not sure if it's in the spirit of the question, to be honest. But I honestly don't think it matters. I would kind of agree with Kyle. Um, I don't know. I went into it front end to back end, and when we got to the back end, my mind was just like blown, and I had a like a struggle to like really understand things. And I thought, I think if we had started talking about the back end or talking about the full picture, like maybe it would have been easier to go from like all this instant gratification of working in the front end um, generalization, I know, 
to like the back end and the data and the slow burn from like the back of the back end and how we get there all the way up to like the API interfaces. So, um, but also I agree with Alex, like it, it kind of doesn't matter. Like you just kind of like either one is great. They're connected, right? Wait to pick a slide, have That's, um, yeah, classic Libra. Bend <laughs> out, go down the middle. <laughs> I think I think definitely just jumping in there though, like if you want to you know if you learn a language like JavaScript it's, I wouldn't say it's quite easy you know but it's easier to go full stack with Node.js and React.js or Vue you know whatever your, whatever your flavor of the month is than it is like traditionally speaking if you had to learn JavaScript on the front and then something like Java on the back you know you're learning two separate languages there um, names apart <laughs> and you know that's a lot of, if you learn JavaScript now you can do both so that's quite you know, it makes your life a little bit easier once you learn JavaScript once. <laughs> um, anyone else want to jump in there or should we move on to the next question? I'm just going to vote up learn JavaScript. That's a, it's a, you can't go wrong. Do that. Yeah, 100%. I got involved in, I don't know if you call it a debate, but like a question which was like, what's better for beginners, Python or JavaScript? Um, but hands down, JavaScript. Like you can just literally open your Chrome console and start coding. Like how much more accessible can it be? That's amazing. Um, I, I do think the whole argument of like um, write once for and everywhere is an interesting one because this, this has been a fascinating chat and I, I'm so grateful to you, Connor and Emma, for hosting this because we've, you know, we've gone in a few different directions and explored, I think, some really interesting ideas uh, tangential to becoming a full-stack developer. But we, we've looked a little bit at the wider landscape and how things relate and how things progress. And it's hard for me to not remember Java and this idea of like write once for and everywhere. But it basically became a meme at some point, but like, it just doesn't, like the idea was, I think that you could sort of build Android apps and desktop apps, you could run it on the server and that kind of thing. Um, but while that's, well, it's nice obviously to have a, a common technology such as the programming language, you still have to invest a lot of effort and time into learning each individual part of the stack. Um, so I, I don't know, it's funny that this has kind of gone in a circle because people say the same thing about JavaScript and React now with React Native and so on. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like I said, with React and React Native, now you can obviously do both. Um, and it's kind of just getting close to the one language is doing everything and kind of gone in the days of, of um, you know, having to learn several different languages to do different things. You know, just everything. Before you know it, you'll have a, what's well, so if you don't say you've got desktop apps, and before you know it, you might even have a whole operating system built. And then, then you realize that Elon Musk sent a, play, a, a space, you know, a rocket to space using JavaScript, um, which is great. Uh, Carl, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, you know, I just thought I would point out, you know, we well while we're talking about languages and stuff, um, you know, most of the reason that any of this is possible in the first place, like when we're talking about Node and Python, uh, they almost always have what's called a binding to a C uh, binary, like an uh, you know an actual application that was written in C, like a CLI application, like something you would run in the terminal. And uh, so when you're calling like uh, FS module a node, that's the file system module, what you're actually interacting with is a small C program that goes and does things behind the scenes. And that's true of like almost, almost every function that you're using in your programming language uh, ties to something like that. And that's why you'll see, you know, uh, Python and, and Node.js might be exactly the same speed at doing a particular task. And it might be because they're using the exact same things under the hood. Um, they also trade back and forth on lots of different things, but uh, interesting to know that. So most most languages tie back to C, and C might be a language that you want to check out if you're um, if you have a lot of free time. What is your keyword there? A lot. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, definitely. I think I saw before that like JavaScript quite as I'm gonna get this wrong probably the high level language, yeah, and then it works its way down to essentially assembly. Um, I think it is so, you know if you really want to go there, go learn assembly, and then you know all more. <laughs> but anyway, moving on to the next question, we've got a couple of back end focus questions. Um, so we'll start with the first one, which is sorry if I get this wrong. Is it as Mika Monster? Twitter username there, Twitter name. Um, it said there's a lot of discussion of how to become a front-end dev, but can you discuss breaking in a career trajectory for a back-end dev? For example, he's learning Java. I'm sorry, they're learning Java. Um, I plan on taking Oracle's associates out in February and then learning spring after that. But, you know, how would you progress um, as a back-end dev um, specifically? Uh, Carl, I think you mentioned you were a back-end dev originally, so you might be able to comment on this. I was a well, yeah. I did desktop like Alex said, and then uh, yeah. I also unfortunately don't know a ton about Java, but it sounds like you're in the right direction. I mean, Spring is what people would you know move on to, but I mean, for career, it, you know, in general, I think this advice applies to everyone. There, I, I would say two things. You know, one is uh, have yourself a, a decent portfolio, so you know, use that knowledge that you're gaining to go ahead and build yourself some kind of example app. You can just build an API or something like that. You know. Um, uh, connect it up to a database, make something doesn't even have to be like all that useful, but just to demonstrate your skill. And then what I would recommend too is uh, just get your foot in the industry as soon as possible. If you're not already, I, I started in support. You know, I mentioned earlier that I was in Geek Squad. I was fixing laptops and like removing antivirus and you know whatever all that kind of nonsense. And um, someone said, "Hey, I work at this company and they're hiring support agents." And I'm like, "Yes, absolutely." I go in there, I learned a bunch of stuff, and now I'm in a different team doing a different thing, and I have different opportunities, right? So uh, use that knowledge that you're gaining to to build a portfolio, get in a company anywhere, just get get in some experience. Uh, you know, you can get two years in at some small company, then you can move to a, small, a slightly larger company for, you know, two to three years and, and keep going like that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So I'll quickly add that because uh, Emma can't speak as much she's having issues. So she said um, to write document. What was it to write documentation? Um, and that's something visual for that. app. There you go. Um, cool. Uh, right. So we've got one more question, which actually I think Hev, you might be able to comment on this. Um, someone's asked. Let me find their name again. I'm sorry. I'm going to get this wrong. It's Raw Rawley Spring Springer. Sorry, if I get that wrong. Um, so I came to the, late to the talk, but how important is it to be very competent at SQL SQL uh, in a full stack capacity? I think you mentioned earlier that you were quite competent or, you know, you, you did a lot of SQL earlier. Hey, yeah, I that was like my first job and it was totally like first, you know, offer that made sense um, taking it. And I, my opinion is that you can get away with not knowing much or any SQL until your job um, asks you to be good at it and that was kind of how I got into it it wasn't by um, intentional choice necessarily but as I've gone on I find it to be extremely crucial to to create that like great foundation to understand how tables interact and how your queries are going to look in your application um, so I probably wouldn't put it as number one priority but I think it's in like the top five top three um, to be competent in SQL I'm not, I would love to hear other, excuse me, I would love to hear other opinions on it. I think, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting one, especially with the, like, a rise of, like, Mongo and, you know, NoSQL and, you know, then types of databases now. It's definitely an interesting one. Um, SQL doesn't quite have the, the foothold, well, it still has a big foothold, let's be honest, but, like, it doesn't have quite the, the dominance that it did with the rise of Mongo and AWS and stuff like that. Uh, Alex or Carl, do you want to jump in on that? 
Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Um, so, right, so just quickly check. Uh, I don't know, Carl, do you want to add anything or do you want to move on? I would definitely say get, you know, at least some familiarity with databases in general. I think SQL is probably the, the one that I would target. You could also do NoSQL, but, um, you know, having just even the context of what's going on is useful for a lot of things. So even if that just means you're watching some YouTube videos or something at first, uh, you don't need to dive too deep but having just the the awareness of what's going on i think will be very helpful awesome so we've got another question here um i think this is the last yeah this would be the last one um and then alex has got something to share with us afterwards but um so the last question is from um and it says like what does a path from front end to back end look like especially in the context of javascript like conceptually, what are some of the concepts apart from writing APIs that are essential to doing that journey? So if you were going to transition from a front-end role to learn back-end, um, you know, what would you say is essential knowledge to, to help you on that journey? Node.js, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100% Node.js. Uh, but anything kind of, you thought about the language itself, so like things that you might, you know, I guess I'm trying to think, but like back end wise, I guess more dealing with async away promises. You know, is there anything else kind of like that? Like, would classes be more relevant to a back end developer than a front end developer, possibly? I don't know if you need to do, I mean, that's all it, but it's all personal stuff. Whether or not you need to do classes, I, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube videos if you can consider that classes, reading a lot of documentation. You know, it, 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 depending on your level of, um, uh, comfort you know you can also look at existing source code and, and I, I do that quite frequently um but you know what i would say is we were talking about jamstack earlier uh which is just a, a really nice way to make front-end applications uh where you're working with apis a lot and you know and that's certainly front end so you know what i would definitely say to take it a step further actually something i have that like a project that i have not released yet mostly out of laziness is um a a Twitter Spaces search website, right? Which is also Jamstack. So you can go in there, you can type in a keyword search and it'll show you different Twitter Spaces that are live right now or scheduled for the future. Um, and so it has both a front end and a back end. So there's two ways to do this. You can just consume Twitter's API, but of course, if I did that, then I would be giving you all my API key and then you would you know, bomb my, my accounts and then I would have no ability to do things. So of course I had to build my own backend. And that's like the steps you can take, right? So you've built this front end, it's consuming the Twitter API, but that's no good. You can't do that because you'd be exposing your Twitter API key. So you have to have your own kind of like a proxy backend. So I used a framework called Nest.js. Um, it's one of many like REST API frameworks that you can take a look at out there. And they have lots of tutorials and example code and videos and things like that. And so, um, you know, maybe you could just do, steal that idea from me. I haven't released it yet. If you get to it before me, that's totally cool. Enjoy. Love it. I've actually, I've been working quite a bit with the um, Twitter API and I've actually not minded it, not minded. It's been quite good. So yeah, if you want to publish, if you want to tweet your API key out, Carl, that'd be great because then I can use your limit, not mine. <laughs> that <laughs> um, limit is brutal. That's one of the reasons I haven't done anything. You all, yeah, I know. If I have 100 people, it's over. It's like horrific. I think the only way you get around it now, um, sorry, not to derail it too much, is like you get people obviously to sign in with their account and then authorize it through them. But yeah, oh, fun. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Right, right. 
uh, all fun dealing with the author on it. Um, cool. So I think that's pretty much it for the questions. Um, sorry if you have asked when we didn't get to it. Um, but Alex does have something quickly to share um, with us all. And then we'll... oh, you're making it sound like there's something into everybody's chair. Like it's not that kind of surprise. Oh, well, you know, come on, Alex. <laughs> I'm building you up here. You got to give us the you got to give us the goods now. I thought it was like Kylie said everybody can have a free iPad or something. I mean, if you're paying, I'm sure. It, well, how many people we got now? We got ninety-one wait, people. Wait, 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 you can, wait, you can wait, buy ninety-one wait. iPads. Hold on, what, what happened here? Where was I? Excuse oh, me? it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so, why asked Connor if I could share was just a bit of data, because there are some studies um, that LinkedIn upload that a company called HackerRank share every year. Um, Stack Overflow also have, as you probably recognize, a really interesting um, annual survey. And so I'm not sure if you would like to guess, but I am interested to hear, because I, I happen to know the answer as a result of the survey. So the Stack Overflow survey surveyed 65,000 developers worldwide. Actually, let me look at the 2021 survey to bring it up to date a little bit. So the 2021 survey asked 66,000 developers about their developer stack. What percentage do you think said they were full stack developers? I wouldn't mind hearing everybody's guess. What percentage say that they're full stack developers? I would say 30%. Mm -hmm. See, I have a problem where I feel like people overestimated them themselves. <laughs> now I'm like, is it something ridiculous? Uh, man, I have no idea. Let's, yeah, I kind of like that 30%. I'll, 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 are we doing like prices right? I'll say 40%. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, I'm going to go the other way and say 20% just to round it off. <laughs> going down, but not up. Love it. Well, do we, do we get anything if we're the nearest? Because if so, I want to change my answer to 31. <laughs> Connor, I'll be honest, mate. You don't need to worry about it because I think Kyle has won. Because the answer is 49.5% of developers identify as a full stack developer, which is you know quite an interesting tidbit, I think, to say the least. But then it's interesting because at the beginning of this chat, we spoke a little bit about how the definition of a full stack developer is a bit abstract. Like, could it be a, friend, a full stack web developer or a full stack mobile developer? Kyle, you make a tremendous point that I think a lot of people possibly overestimate their own abilities. And, and they're like, oh yeah, I've written a simple express app. I'm a full stack developer, no problem. But, but the interesting thing is HackerRank did a very interesting survey where they asked for the most in-demand jobs among employers. And it's actually quite, I don't know what you'll think of these results, honestly. I, I really don't know. But as it happens, there, there's, I'm trying to think how I can best present this in an audio format. But suffice to say, there's two ends of the spectrum. There are small companies and then there are larger companies. And one trend you can identify is that smaller companies favor full stack developers versus bigger companies because they're probably looking for a smaller team that can accomplish more and they're not as worried about specialization. So hopefully that's an interesting little bit of context you can take with you. But if we, if we zoom in a little bit on the total, so this is taking into account both types of companies to give us a sort of um, general indication of what kind of roles companies are looking for. According to this survey, 38% of companies are looking for full stack developers. 24% are looking for backend developers. 15% are looking for data scientists, which is a bit off topic for today's chat, but it is the next by percentage. And then quite alarmingly, I feel like, it says that 9.9% .9 of companies are looking for front-end developers only. 
I'm not sure what to make of that, to be honest. And I do want to issue a warning, but as with many of these surveys, they're not always representative. And I, and I think perhaps another kind of caveat I can offer is that titles are easy to draw a graph around, but the responsibilities and the nuance of that role might be a little bit different. So for example, if you're looking for a junior developer role, the title on LinkedIn or Angel or Psychoflow Careers or whichever other job board you're using might just be junior developer, not even really accounting for the stack. But when you drill in, you realize that this is clearly a front end sort of role. And so there's some nuance there for sure, but it does kind of paint a picture where we at least know that full stack developers are in demand among smaller companies. And likewise, it definitely doesn't hurt to know backend and, and maybe having that in your arsenal is a good thing. The last thing I'll sort of mention is that LinkedIn do an emerging jobs report where every year they sort of look at some of the jobs that were not as popular last year, but are kind of emerging. And, and it's really interesting. Like I think in 2020, the first most popular um, was an artificial intelligence specialist. There's, there's titles in there that make a lot of sense, right? That sound trendy. Like it makes sense that data protection officers are becoming more popular in tech companies as we enter a world of GDPR and compliance and things like that. I, I was sort of also very interested to see data scientists on the rise, SREs on the rise, cloud engineers on the rise. But even today, even though full stack engineer or full stack developer is a title that's been around for at least half a decade and well, probably much longer to be fair, but it's certainly relevant for a while. Even today, it's one of the most emerging jobs. It's number 12 in a list of 15. So there's definitely a market for full stack developers, but equally when you're looking to get your first developer job, especially something that I talk the most about, and I feel like I'm, I'm more qualified to speak about than say somebody climbing the ladder. I feel like the most important thing is you get your foot in the door. And for that, I feel like either front end or back end, it doesn't necessarily um, change your opportunity if you're someone who can present your skills in the best light. 100% and just to follow up, learn JavaScript and then you can do both. Um, so just to confirm, Alex, Carl can expect his iPad in the post um, for guessing the closest amount. You know, I think I have an old <laughs> one in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so yeah. Oh. I don't just mute myself. That's good going. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's it for this week's space. Um, we do them every week. Uh, so we'll be back Wednesday again, same time, same place. Um, we'll announce the topic and the guest speakers tomorrow. But um, for now, I just want to say thank you to all of our speakers, Alex, Kyle, uh, Heather, um, and obviously Emma, who was our co-host earlier. And she went down to a listener because she was having technical issues. Um, so make sure you follow all of them, because um, they're all been amazing people, they've all provided loads of value to the space, and I, I can't thank them enough for joining me. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, once again, thank you for listening, and hopefully see you next week. Um, yeah, and thank you for listening. Oh, and I'll be publishing the recording tomorrow, Friday, once I get the recording from Twitter with my archive, I'll be publishing the recording. <laughs> And, and thank you so much, Connor and Emma, for hosting. I mean, you're so skilled at hosting these, Connor. I'm so impressed. And Emma, I can sort of feel your presence on the sidelines, sort of supporting Connor, helping him focus on sort of articulating the questions and things. So I appreciate you as well. She's also probably... Oh, sorry, Carl, go ahead. <laughs> See, I knew I was never going to get the chance to put it in there. Alex is a master at these things. I don't know how... You two, man, professionals. I can't... <laughs> You know, can't can't get it enough out there, Connor. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, this was was super fun, Alex. Uh, super glad I got to hang out with you, Heather. It was great to meet you, Emma. Great to meet you, and uh, I would I would love to speak with you all again. 
no worries. Thank you both for joining. Obviously, you're more than welcome to join us again uh, in the future. Um, and we're, like I said, we're doing every week. Um, so if there's other spaces, make sure to get you in contact and you can come up. But yeah, uh, thank you for joining. And thank you for the very kind words. Um, what I was going to say there quickly is um, Emma's a bit of a pro at this, being a co-host, because if I go through my text now, I've got a lot of text. Are you looking at your phone? Did you see that person's hand? <laughs> so she's the real winner here. She's keeping me on track. <laughs> But cool. Yep. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And yeah, see you again next week. Bye. Ciao. Bye.